Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. Today, I'll be bringing you my wonderful chat with colleague and friend, Glennis Oyston, who is based in Los Angeles, California. For those of you who aren't familiar with Glennis, she is a fabulous and lighthearted person who is a registered dietitian and eating coach. She has a catchphrase, which is also incidentally the name of her website, which is Dare to notdiet.com and she invites people to stop dieting and start living, move away from body hatred and towards acceptance. So Glennis has a personal story which she's very open about and so she knows exactly what people are going through because she's had a personal experience herself. She offers people online uh, consultations or through phone or one-on-one or also group coaching programs. So she is very multi-talented. You'll also probably be aware that she has a podcast called Dietitians Unplugged with her friend and colleague, or actually our friend and colleague, Aaron Flores. So jump onto her website, darenottodiet.com, or also look up, look up Dietitians Unplugged to get more of Glennis Oyston's fabulousness. So I really hope you enjoy this interview. We had a lot of fun recording it. And um, yes, I'll see you hopefully on the Facebook page, The Mindful Dietitian. There's uh, always... Uh, you know, lots of um, fun and feistiness on that group to enjoy for us all. And remember that I I, um, I try to update the Mindful Dietitian, the resource page and the events page as as often as possible. So that you can all go to the uh, website, themindfuldietitian.com.au and there's, uh, there's lots of resources and links you can find there as well as finding dietitians in your area as well. Um, or maybe not in your area, maybe you've had an inquiry from somebody who is interstate or maybe even overseas. So you can jump on there and find somebody and reach out to them. Um, Yeah, all all contacts are there. And if you are not listed, then please um, give me a shout out as long as you're working in non-diet approach, health at every size or eating disorder treatment services, then I'm very, very happy to list you there. So please reach out, stay connected and look forward to hearing, hearing from you or connecting with you all soon. Bye. Welcome, Glennis Oyston. I am absolutely so excited to be chatting with you today uh, from Melbourne to LA. So as yeah. you can hear, my rap career is just rapidly going down the tube. I better stick to dietetics, hey? What do you reckon, Glennis? <laughs> um, I, no, I think you've got a future career. <laughs> You've got some, you've got some spit and flow, so you're good. Oh, nice. Well, I'm just getting my uh, my vibe on speaking to someone from LA. I guess that's how it rolls, does it? Does that mean, <laughs> Listen does that to mean me. you're drinking? Does that mean you're drinking wine right now? <laughs> well, it's uh, 10:30 in the morning, so a tiny bit early. But you know, once it clocks oh. past midday, I think that's permissible, isn't it? 
<laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if you throw orange juice in there, you've got a beverage for the morning. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's a name for that concoction and I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, Mimosa. Mm. Mimosa. I was going to say mojito, but no, it's not a mojito. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> yeah. Either or, you know, we're not fussy, are we? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, Glennis. Okay. So why don't we start off with um, telling us a little bit about your career as a dietitian or what, what's kind of led up to where you are today? Um, okay. So uh, how did I, how did I sort of get to be the dietitian I am today. Yeah. Um, so I made the decision to become a dietitian in quite a different mindset. When I first decided to become a dietitian, I was thick in the middle of a, a diet, a very restrictive diet, very obsessive diet. And I thought, oh gosh, I've just loved to think about nutrition all day long. And I should... I should do something where I can do this. And I decided to become a dietitian <laughs> because I figured dietitians just thought about food all day long. <laughs> and so I made this decision to become a dietitian in the middle of a mental health crisis, mm -hmm. which is uh, known as a diet. Um, and uh, so I continued on for a long time, just went to school part-time, and then eventually um, started doing some nutrition classes. And I was dieting all along and I had my first sort of introductory nutrition class and I had it with uh, Linda Bacon who wrote Health at Every Size. Right. And I'm like a total name dropper. I'm like, I had a class with Linda Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Oh my god! Everybody's gosh. like, that's great. I'm like, yeah, it's my only claim to fame. Um, but imagine so, having your first nutrition class with Linda Bacon. Oh my gosh. Well, it was totally mind blowing for right. me because I went in a complete dieter mm. and I came out like, I'm never dieting again, mm. ever again. Yeah, and she my has life that effect on people. Yeah, my life was changed forevermore. And then I kind of had this a uh, little bit of a kind of a crisis where I'm like, well, if I'm not going to help people lose weight, how do I do this? How, how do I become a dietitian? And I mean, the answer is obviously health at every size where you can teach people how to do good things for their health, but you just don't have to focus on their weight. And it was so easy. So I kind of immersed myself in health at every size for the rest of my um, schooling and intuitive eating. And I kind of came out of my internship like a fully formed health at every size dietitian, in my opinion, because I'd just been so immersed in it for, for a while. So I know a lot of people start their dietetics career with, you know, they were in a very different mindset. And um, I just was lucky enough that early on I met Linda Bacon and um, was able to make this transfer transformation before I became a dietitian. So that's sort of how I practice now. And um, I'm very, very committed to health at every size and intuitive eating and non-diet approach. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of what brought me to this, this point. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's, it's uh, fascinating actually to speak to such a variety of dietitians and to hear their pathway to health at every size because like you say sometimes it's um, it's a you know you've had a guest lecture you've or you've been to a workshop and for other people it is literally tripping over accidentally maybe a piece of research or um, finding something on social media or going to um, you know a uh, maybe some professional development where something's mentioned and for other people it's this gut feeling that something's not right 
Yeah, absolutely. And and part of that played into it for me where I was really skeptical about what she was saying. And, mm. um, you know, she was saying like, fat is okay. We shouldn't, we shouldn't discriminate against, you know, fat. And I was like, what? Mm. And, uh, but the reality is I, I was so hungry all the time and that, <laughs> all of a sudden clicked for me and I just got sick of counting out my 12 almonds for my one Weight Watcher point. And all of a sudden I just got really angry and I was like, Oh my God, she's right. Like I am walking around starving all the time because I'm afraid of being a fat person again. Um, Cause I had been, and then I had lost weight and then, you know, but I, you know how diets go, like Mm. it has to become crazier and crazier to maintain that, that weight loss. And that's how it was getting for me. And it was getting extremely disordered. I had very disordered eating. And so all of a sudden I realized like, oh my God, all I want to do is just eat and just have it be normal. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what that looked like. So I had to kind of go on that journey of self-discovery. But yeah, so it was really lucky. It was like meeting Linda, but also that personal feeling of like, oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. Yes. It was kind of like the, the collision of those two worlds. Yeah, it was so fortunate, really, because it's personally changed my life for the better. Um, I walk around in so much more confidence now. Um, and I am a larger person than I was back then, because obviously when I started dieting, I did regain my weight, but mm. I was also like so committed to my body and, and the wisdom of my body at that time. I said, whatever happens is going to happen. Um, you know, I just can do good things for my health and see how that goes, but I'm sick of being so hungry and so weird around food all the time. Yes. And probably your friends and your partner were pretty keen for you to not be boring and be left out of social occasions. Yeah. Well, you would think so, but now everybody diets. So, um, now my partner was so happy because he was like, Oh, we can eat food together now. That's really exciting. We can share a meal. We could. Yeah. And I was like no longer outlawing cookies in the house and Mm. that really worked. He was going to eat cookies. So, um, yeah. So, uh, and my friends, yeah, actually I have a lot of non-diet friends, which is nice, but I had always sort of hid that, stuff around them. I was really good at hiding my dieting to some degree. Um, and, and then kind of like binging on meals later Mm, with them. So, um, yeah, but, but it's amazing how much easier life got all of a sudden when you weren't thinking, when I wasn't thinking about food all the time. Oh yeah. It means your brain is in one space at any one time and you've got so much more room in your body and well literally and figuratively you've got so much room yeah exactly and it's like oh my god I can have hobbies now that aren't food related (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly I can have I I, I learned I didn't actually like cooking as much as I thought I did (laughs) yeah I know I know and these are this is exactly what our clients go through too and you know they get them they do get themselves so immersed in diet culture and so immersed in, in diet ways of thinking and acting and living that, um, that it's, it's hard to imagine life without it. Right. Yeah. And, and it's amazing when, when you can see people going from that sort of that dieting mentality to one of more freedom. Um, it's almost like, like, Oh my God, I have so much, you know, like you said, room in my life all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. 
so if I was to uh, if I was to pretend that I was a journalist um, asking you um, a question what I want to do is pretend that yes I am interviewing you and I'll say to you Glennis can you tell me what is health at every size okay yes I'm gonna give you my answer from my perspective as a dietitian, Great. Um, because I think the health at every size encompasses so much more. But for me, when I'm explaining it to the lay person who's very skeptical, I will say, so health at every size is just pursuing health habits without putting weight at the forefront uh, or, or really without thinking about weight at all, just focusing on the things that can make you healthy. And that's sort of how I introduce it to people who are really skeptical um, and there are lots of people like that. So I'm trying to sort of bring them in so that they understand it's still about health. I mean, health is in the title. <laughs> so I think people have a tendency to feel like health at every size means people are healthy at whatever weight they're at. Mm -hmm. And I make sure to explain like, no, actually what it means is you can work towards health at whatever weight you're at. Yeah. Maybe you're not, you're not healthy right now. And you need to make some changes to become healthier. You just don't think about weight while you're doing it because it's such a futile pursuit. And if or when we do put weight uh, at the forefront, what, what tends to happen? Right. So what happens is, and this can happen, I've had clients who are on this intuitive eating journey and then they'll lose a little bit of weight just as a side effect of changing their eating a little bit. And it's really, I try to really get them to focus like, okay, let's not think about that weight too much because what happens is focusing on the weight starts to undermine that intuitive eating that I'm trying to teach them. Yes. So they start, instead of making decisions about eating something based on their preferences or how hungry or full they are at the moment, they start making choices based on what will make the number move down on the scale. And we've moved right away from that internal regulation of eating and onto another diet. So, and then when we know what happens with diets, you just lose weight and then eventually gain it. Um, and that happens to pr pretty much everybody um, unless they manage to develop some extremely, extremely disordered habits. <laughs> Maybe they can make that weight last. But um, yeah, so I try to keep people focused off of the weight, even if weight is being lost as a result of the changes that they're making. Yeah, it's, inter it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, if people do, if, if people's weight does drift downwards as a result of changing their behaviours, it can almost trigger this cascade of giving credit to the weight loss uh, rather than giving credit to the efforts to eat more intuitively or to move the body in, in a comfortable and, um, and sustainable way. It's interesting how our... How, what I notice is that when people have been dieting for a long time, there's this seductive nature of the numbers going down that can actually pull people back into diet mentality. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, oh, well, if I just keep doing this, the number will just keep going down. It's That's like, right. well, it may or it may not. Um, but if you keep focusing on it, you're going to undermine that um, 
sort of the healthier habits and you're going to maybe find yourself moving towards more disordered habits. Yes. Yeah. Because as, as dietitians, this, these are the nuances, aren't they really of how do we help people to hold the ideas of um, behavior change and, and intuitive eating whilst uh, helping them um, navigate the complexities of uh, wh- whatever happens to weight, whether that is stabilization, whether that's up, whether it's down, because that's almost, um, it's not separate. It's all interconnected, of course, but this is the tricky part of it, isn't it? Yeah. And the first thing I usually try to encourage people to do is not weigh themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty hard for a lot of people, but I'm like, give that scale away. You do not need to know that number. It's mm-hmm. just not necessary. Um, you know, if you're doing, you know, you know, if you're feeling better, you know, if your health changes are helping you, if you're kind of feeling better, or maybe you have better mobility or something like that, um, better stamina, um, you know, if that's working for you and it's so classic, like I'll hear people say, you know, I was feeling great and I felt so positive. And then all of a sudden I just decided to get on the scale and then I saw the number and I'm my highest weight ever. And now I'm just in a downward spiral and I feel like eating everything and, you know, go, or I feel like going on a diet. It's like, well, how did you feel before you got on the scale? Like if you were feeling good, why did you have to know that number? Look, look at the power that that number had over you. Um, When before that you were feeling great, you know? And so I really try to encourage just, just stay away from the scale. Yes. And you bring up a really good point where people can get tempted back to the scale when they feel like they've gone down or when they feel like they've gone up or simply they're curious. So what are the factors that you notice kind of draw people back to wanting to weigh or measure themselves again? So part of it is I think people are feeling so good that they think, oh, I feel so good. I must have lost weight. So I'm kind of curious to see. And they get on. It's like, <laughs> well, that didn't happen. So then they, you know, they're like, oh, God, how could I have been so wrong about this? You know, and then they start doubting themselves. So I would say that I think it's actually they, they get on from a feeling of positivity more than anything. Um, and then just the visibility of the scale, if it's in your house and you can see it, I think it's just this temptation to get on because we spent so long judging ourselves by that number on the scale. It's like, oh, I just need to, I just need to know where I'm at, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it's just, it's temptation. And then of mm-hmm. course the doctor is always a big, like people are always being asked to be weighed at the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And they feel like they can't get out of that. No, and it's, um, yeah, it's interesting uh, having those, uh, supporting people to have those conversations with their, with their doctors. Is that in the US, would you routinely, do people just routinely get weighed, like everybody, yeah. or are there certain people that get yeah. weighed, or how does it work? Pretty much everybody gets weighed, I think, um, going at the doctor. Mm. Uh, I should say... Yeah, I think everybody gets weighed. Like at the medical center where I work, we pretty we r- routinely weigh people, um, unless they don't want to be. But um, yeah, it's a total. Well, when I go to the doctor, they're always trying to get me to get on the scale, and I'm like, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> and they're kind of <laughs> off by my answer, like, well, we didn't didn't give you an option. I'm like, I know, but I took the option, so yeah. <laughs> it's all good. I take the option into my own hands and tell you to step off. Yeah, absolutely. Like. 
you know, it's your medical care. You don't actually have to be subjected to any treatments that you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, you know, because I work in uh, clinical, um, I've seen many patients say, no, I'm not going to have that done. And then that's the end of the story, not just with weighing, but like with lots of stuff. They're like, no, nope, I don't want to have that done. And that's it. And you can't deny somebody medical care, as far as I know, for not getting, for not subjecting themselves to certain things. Like lots of people don't want to get labs drawn or they don't want to, you know, have their blood pressure taken or whatever. It's like, you know, you it is your medical care and you do have a choice to say no. Now, I do believe that... Um, Insurance reimbursement is a big part of Uh, of rates here. Yeah. And what I learned when we were at the beta conference last year was from, from one of the presenters, she said, actually, if you just tell them to put refused, then they will, they get the same reimbursement uh, as they would if they had taken your weight. Yeah. And I thought that was like revelatory. I was like, Oh my God, I have to tell everybody this. (laughs) So yeah, that's great. And what an interesting word to use. You know, refused. Refused. Yeah, that's that we have that in our medical or electronic medical record yeah. where it's like if the patient doesn't want to be refused, instead of just not putting anything, you put in, um, or if the, if the patient doesn't want to be weighed, you just put refused um, instead of putting nothing. Right. Um, I mean, nobody's ever talked to us about that, but that's. You know, that's what a lot of people will do. I'll see that in the in the record pop up. Yeah. Maybe they should have like a ticker box system where you have refused, gave me the finger, um, yeah. thre- threatened to punch me in the nose, um, yeah. uh, threw a tantrum. They, never coming <laughs> back. they should have like, you're never coming back. <laughs> maybe we should just have a ticker box system where <laughs> whatever happened actually gets put in there. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing though because I'll see providers will put in weights, just a stated weight. They'd rather put a wrong weight in than no weight at all. And oh. that my doctor did the same. Well, what do you think you weigh? I'm like, I don't know. I guess I weigh this. Yeah. And they have zero problem putting in a possibly incorrect weight. It's kind of amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. In your opinion, do you think we can weigh people? Do you think there's a way that we can weigh people neutrally? Um, Oh, I, I believe so. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel that in general, the average healthy human does not need to be weighed. Sure. But because I work with this older population and malnutrition is such a concern, yes. I do like to weigh them. And um, what I find is this population that I work in is um, they don't really care about their weight that much. <laughs> they don't have the attachment that, say, women tend to have. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, and I usually encourage them, oh, good, nothing has changed, you know. And if something has changed, I say, oh, what's going, you know. Usually I'm concerned more about weight loss than anything else. So, yes. so I think we can weigh neutrally. And, and the, re- the way we would do this is say that weight trend is more important than that than an individual number. So if we see somebody with, um, you know, fairly even weight, even if it's very high, like that's going to be healthier in the long run Mm. instead of seeing large deviations down and then up. And I have had patients who have dieted their whole lives and you can see that reflected in their weight chart. And so I think if we as medical professionals focus say on, um, 
saying, we're just looking for a trend to make sure that you're more or less staying the same uh, because that indicates that everything's in balance for you more or less. Um, I think, I think we could change it, but we have charged it with so much negative emotion and negative meaning, you know, like, Ooh, that number, that one number has so much judgment. And we, in the medical community, not me, but <laughs> the rest, the rest of them, like yes, the others, um, yeah, the others are, are kind of like always chastising about a number that tells you kind of nothing about somebody's health. Right. Yeah. So essentially so, what you're saying is take a look at it, take a look at weight over time and, um, and if, however you can do it in a really neutral way that helps the person be really comfortable um, and doesn't leave them feeling blamed or shamed or like they have to go fix something about themselves, then it's possible to do it. Yeah. And then the other way to make it more neutral is ask them if they want to be weighed. Yeah. Mm. You know, imagine that. Do we yeah. have your permission to do this? And here's why we do it. But that's not, it's just sort of like you get into the, I know they're in a hurry, but you get into the doctor's office and they're like, okay, get on the scale. And if you are the one throwing the monkey wrench in the system, they are not happy about that. Like right. you have just totally broken my rhythm. What do I do now? Oh my God, <laughs> I've got an extra 20 seconds to, to, figure out what to do it's like no I'm just not getting on sorry no. yeah and developing that uh that rapport with your patient or client research consistently shows that that is the way that we can help people engage in healthcare um the most right Right. And we're literally chasing people away from going to the doctor mm -hmm. um, by chastising them for something that they, they probably can't change permanently. And so I think we just need to start figuring out that, hey, har harassing somebody about their weight is not making them want to come back mm -hmm. to the doctor. And that's probably going to negatively impact their health. So let's find another way to address health. Yeah, oh, most certainly. If somebody is feeling um, anxious about going to the doctor, then they're going to um, probably ignore early warning signs or, um, you know, just leave something until too late or until they're really, really in a bad way. And doctors don't want patients doing that, do they? They don't want to, you know, them, them rolling up to the medical centre when um, their bloods are all over the place or where, or where things are out of control and they want to see them when, when symptoms are... Uh, early on so we need to I guess set up the environment so that people are much more likely to go and for example have a pap smear without feeling embarrassed and ashamed or um, you know any kind of medical care yeah absolutely and um, sorry I just forgot what I was gonna say <laughs> yeah I mean that's what I was I, sorry I just remember what I was thinking of and <laughs> I'm wondering <laughs> it's getting late in the day here. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering how much of that sort of people not wanting to go to the doctor because um, they're going to be shamed, how much that sort of figures into those statistics where people say, but look, larger people are so unhealthy. It's like, mm. well, maybe it's because either they're not going to the doctor or they're not getting appropriate care when they go to the doctor because it's all about their weight. Mm. You know, we're not... I, I, I think we need to take it a step further and just start thinking about how that's impacting statistics and, and, and use our, put our critical thinking caps on. <laughs> you well, know? That, that's what we've been trained for, right? We are trained in critical analysis. And yet when it comes to things like weight, sometimes we can put our blinkers on and not look beyond what seems to be the obvious. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm lucky because I work with, um, 
interns, medical interns and residents quite a bit. So I kind of try to remove those blinkers before they get firmly lodged yes. on their on their eyes. Um, and I think sometimes the message message gets through and sometimes it doesn't, but what I'm hoping is I've planted a seed mm-hmm. for someday when they are seeing these things where it's like, yeah, maybe people aren't losing weight for a reason. Mm. And that reason is they can't, you know? Um, so, so I'm trying to do my part <laughs> in like helping to transform the medical system. And, um, I don't think I can do it on my own, but <laughs> I am trying to do my little part here. Yeah, true. I mean, none of us can do it on our own, which is the beauty of this incredible community of dietitians and health professionals where we can turn to each other and, and, um, and get support so that we can fill our own cup and walk back into, um, yeah. back into our our own workplaces or our own communities, and to be able to. Sometimes it's a bit strategic, isn't it? You know, strategically um, and patiently plant seeds. So I guess I'm, I'm interested to know, Glennis, um, because this would be the case with a lot of dietitians. How do you? What, what would be your tips as to how people can start to plant seeds with colleagues or with other health professionals? Um, so I tend to be a really blunt instrument. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and, and you've met me before, so I'm sure you can't imagine that, but, um, oh, never, never. <laughs> um, so I, I really realize too, sometimes, sometimes blunt force isn't going to work. Um, mm. I try to slip that message. And so I work in an interdisciplinary team with, um, you know, a lot of other health professionals and when it turns, when the talk turns towards somebody's weight, the end, like, oh, we have to get them to lose weight. And we're talking about, you know, people older than 65, where actually weight loss tends to be associated with more higher mortality rate. And so I try to sort of slip it in that way. And I, you know, I'll send articles about, you know, BMI and older adults and that kind of thing and try to slip it in a little bit in a way that they can hear it. Um, And then sometimes when that doesn't work, I just kind of say, well, weight loss doesn't work anyway. And I (laughs) (laughs) going hard. There's the, the blunt, the blunt force. So, um, Mm. but I think it's important to feel like, Hey, we are an important part of the medical team and this is our expertise and we do need to speak up. And, I don't, I mean, that's what we know. We look at the science and we know this to be true that most people, you know, cannot lose weight long-term and that it it isn't going to help health necessarily and um, that it might do more harm than good. So we know this, uh, especially those of us are immersed in health at every size. And so I think we should feel empowered to Mm. say these things to the medical team. And I think there's a tendency for a lot of us to hang back and feel like, Oh, you know, we shouldn't. But what I found is like the worst thing that happens when you speak up is somebody just goes, Oh, well, I disagree. Yes. (laughs) It's like, Oh no, my life just came to an end because you disagreed with me. Oh no, Mm -hmm. it didn't. So Mm -hmm. I, what I found is I do try to put myself out there with some humor and um, hope that, that is a pill that is able to be swallowed by other health yes. professionals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what you're saying is um, a mixture of research because 
health professionals generally do love the research and if we've got some and there's there's so much now that we can um, hand to them even if it's part of maybe doctor's letters or letters to other specialists you know putting in some uh, references um, and then also finding opportunities to speak about it and if in doubt just straight for the straight for the hard line yeah yeah, and it's not like we're telling them anything they don't know. Like, no. hey, look at all your patients. Did you notice that even if they lose weight, they gain it all back? And mm-hmm. we can't really chalk that up to like this huge neglect of willpower, like this mass inability to to just diet. It's like something else is going on. Mm-hmm. And so starting with like what they know um, to be true. I that think is so helpful. true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's hard though. I think like you've only got a few minutes. It's not like you're going to convert somebody in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I had a class, you know, my class with Linda Bacon was four months and I said like that I took the whole time to, <laughs> to really absorb it and understand it and then move forward. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, what an amazing opportunity really to really fully immerse yourself for months at a time would be, I mean, that would, oh, it's my dream really, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty cool, actually. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, So one thing that I, that I know about you, and I know about the way that you um, speak about your experience, is that you've been a dietitian who has lived in a variety of different sized bodies. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about how we can, I guess, a little about your experience? Let's just start there. Yeah. With, with being in different size bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I started out like a chubby kid, um, for, for a variety of reasons. I think I had like, you know, there were some problems with the feeding dynamics when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't come from an ultra thin bunch of people. Um, and then I sort of, you know, gained more weight as my eating got much more disordered as a young adult. And then I, um, you know, lost weight. I wasn't a really large person, but back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was still considered like um, overbeast. Sorry, overweight or obese. Um, I don't even think we were using the BMI back then. But um, so then, uh, and I don't like those words, but that's sort of how I would have looked at it back then. So then I lost weight. Yeah. And I mean, I I definitely didn't hate my body back then. And I... um, but I knew that society saw my body as wrong. So I was a little self-conscious about it. And then um, I started dieting and I lost weight and I became like, um, quote unquote, a normal size, according to the BMI. And even just looking at me, you wouldn't have thought that I was a large person ever mm-hmm. or had been a large person. And so for 17 years, I lived in that much smaller body and um, always dieting the whole time. And so... I mean, the reality is, yeah, life is easier when you're in a smaller body. People do not uh, make assumptions about your health. Mm-hmm. Um, people just assume that you're, well, they do make assum- assumptions. They assume that you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're put in this sort of attractive category um, so that, you you know, the world, the, the, the world of, of, of relationships is sort of open to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's sort of how it's, it's regarded, right? Like there's this idea that if you're too heavy, nobody's going to love you, mm-hmm. which is total 
bullshit. It's but, total bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. ridiculous. But, but that's, if somebody tells you that and then you believe it, then you really do start to limit that mm-hmm. for yourself. Um, and then, so I've been thin for a long time. And then when I stopped dieting during my dietitian uh, training, I started to gain weight and that was kind of alarming because I somehow thought I had been in that smaller body for so many years. I just thought that was maybe my normal body, but it wasn't. (laughs) So I started to gain weight and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Let's see where it goes. And um, it it did keep going up back to my original weight pre-dieting, which I thought was pretty interesting. And I'm pretty much the same shape and not the same shape because I'm middle-aged now, but the same size that I was when I, you know, back when I was in my early 20s and started dieting. And I thought that was really interesting that my body kind of, because I'd been on, I think because I hadn't weight cycled, maybe the trauma to my body wasn't as bad. I had just like suppressed for a long time. Right. Yeah. You were kind of in that place of holding your body down yeah. where it wasn't kind of naturally meant to be. Right. And I went, I got very small for a while actually. And that was really, um, I guess it wasn't an eating disorder, but at times it felt like it was like when you're crying because you're, you know, a couple pounds up, you know, over a very tiny weight already. It's like, Ooh, that's really, that's really disordered. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the hardest time being that thin was weird. And I didn't feel like I was actually in my own body. Um, I kind of felt like I had borrowed a body. Mm. And so I feel very much now like I'm in my own body. This Mm. is the body I was meant to have, you know? Um, And so my concern has been as a dietitian that I would experience discrimination um, because I'm in a larger body. And I'm not even, like I said, it's not even that large of a body, but it's like, I'm in the obese category and people will be surprised probably to hear that when they see me because I'm a pretty small person. Mm -hmm. But, um, but lately my feeling has been, uh, I'm probably going to encounter some discrimination in hiring at some point because of my body size, Mm. because the dietitian is supposed to be thin. Mm. And that kind of, that kind of bums me out. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. And it's like, I feel like I'm very um, outspoken. You know, I, I write on my blog and I'm, I help clients to sort of own their, uh, you know, own their eating and own their own bodies. And at the same time, like I do sympathize because being in a larger body in this world is hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm, if I'm feeling that at the size I'm at, which is, you know, it could be considered small fat, um, you know, imagine somebody in a much larger body, <laughs> especially if you're a dietitian, like you probably feel like your world is a little limited. So the experience has been like, to me, I'm much happier being, feeling like this is my body when I eat normally and I do good things, like I exercise and I feel very comfortable in this body. Uh, and yet when I go out into the world, I am, you know, I'm going to be discriminated against to some degree. And that, is really depressing. So, well, and it's not right. Like it's 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 really not right, is it? Right. And what keeps me actually feeling okay is that I know that this is a discrimination issue. This is just bigotry. Yes. And yes. so, you know, I'm not I'm not going to change who I am because the world is a bigoted place. Yes, that's exactly right. And we've also got, so we kind of exist in two different worlds as dietitians. So we've got our wider culture and then we've got our kind of our role, I guess, as dietitians. So not only is there the 
the big world culture and arguably maybe an LA culture as well. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, right. Um, but then there's also the dietitian culture. So, so within our particular professional culture, how can we really make, how, how can we make a contribution to this profession being one that welcomes all bodies? Um, I think there has to be a huge culture shift mm. it, it, where we have to first recognize that body diversity is a real thing. Like yes. we have to have body diversity. If you just look at population um, curves, uh, you know, you're not going to have everybody be the same weight. That's a statistical impossibility. So we need to embrace the fact that people do come in different sizes uh, and I, and I think that's, that's the first step and that's going to be the hardest step. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've just met, I've met lots of students and younger dietitians who are feeling very unsure of their, of their role in, as a future dietitian when they do live in a, in a larger body or, or maybe just a quote unquote, a not small body or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and I think they, they tend to feel quite unsure. And it's interesting that they, they love health at every size because it's their, their experience is that they want, to, uh, they, they want to find a sense of peace in the body that they have. And, and they also want to find a place within the profession as well. Yeah. And I've met those interns as well where they're like, I'm a little worried because I am not small or I'm not thin. And I think a first step is to be really adamant that you have a right to exist in the body that you're in <laughs> and don't let anybody argue with you on that. And it's not about health because that's not an obligation for anybody. Um, regardless of somebody's health, they have the right to exist in the body that they're in. And so I really try to encourage people to feel like, hey, defend your body and your body size no matter what, mm -hmm. um, which is easier said than done, sure. I think. Yeah. Um, especially if the whole world is saying, nope, you are unhealthy or you shouldn't be in that size. Um, but uh, yeah, I think defending ourselves is, is really important. Is there a way you think, you know, you know how there's this phrase in health at every size that, um, that talks about um, making sure that people are at the table? You know how there's that phrase that people use? Yeah, making, mm. making sure all the different people are at the table. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah. led, it, it's kind of led me to think, how can we make sure that there is plenty of body diversity at the dietetics table? Right. Um, I think we need to... Gosh, how do we do that? <laughs> um, that's a hard question, Fiona. Jeez. <laughs> I'm expecting you to have the exact I'm right answer. I'm going to solve the problems of the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe the, or maybe the conundrum or the question is more: How can we help to raise the voices of a more diverse? dietetic population so it's so it's not like saying okay we're going to specifically select for body diversity for this particular course because that's not kind of okay either um, but how can we help to elevate or raise or support the voices and experiences of those who don't um, who, who, who aren't living in a smaller body or who have a, 
a larger body and are incredible kick-ass dietitians who have got so much to offer the world? Um, maybe that's a better question. Yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, the, the process, it, what I find is, because I work in a medical center where we have dietetic interns come through. And what I find is that even from the interview, interview pool, everybody tends to be within a certain size range. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that the nutrition field is attracting smaller people mm -hmm. in general because it's about weight loss right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we took from dietetics, if we just took the focus off weight loss, if we actually weren't so resistant to the damn data, you know, <laughs> that says, hey, weight loss doesn't work for most people. If we actually looked at that evidence and said, hey, this isn't about weight. It's about health. You might actually attract more people of different sizes coming into dietetics programs. Right. So I think yes. it's, it's, we have to take the whole focus off of weight loss, which is going to be so hard because, you know, there's this sort of like us, this little fringe group of health at every size dietitians mm. kind of shouting, shouting our heads off at, at the top of our voices, but we're still pretty small. I think we are making inroads, however. Um, and so, and so making it not about weight and saying you can, you can be healthy at, uh, you know, you can start to pursue health at any size and you can um, be healthy at different sizes. Mm -hmm. But where, like, I guess the question is, how, you know, that's very deep. So, of course, podcasts like this are really important. So to get out to, the, to would be, <laughs> you know, changing like, the world. Yeah, exactly. To get out to would be dietetic students. Um, I did a podcast uh, last year with Julie Dillon mm -hmm. about, you know, being a fat dietetic student and that person thinking like, oh my God, I need to be smaller. I just need to do a diet. And so we talked about like, no, actually what you need to do is embrace body diversity and keep plunging through and come in because we do need different sizes. Um, I mean, we need a lot of different diversity in, in dietetics. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. I think there's some missing like, um, uh, uh, you know, from ethnicities and races and, and socioeconomic status. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really starting to see that as we, as we go through the process of interviewing, uh, dietetic interns. And so, yeah, so we really do need all those voices. It's so important um, because I think that our patients need to see different people and different sizes that reflect them more as mm. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, coming into that space of that, the, the, um, the real life uh, experience uh, of the patient or the client can be then reflected also in um, the health professional too. And some people feel so would feel so relieved to be able to visually see different uh, body sizes of people who, um, you know, people who are who are supporting them. Yeah. And what, you know, I was just thinking too, like what is going to make this easier to have, you know, more, diverse body sizes in the dietetics world um, would be if we embraced health at every size so that you don't have this conversation with your client, like you need to lose weight and the client saying to you, well, you're not thin. Why should I do it if you're not? Because that's happened. Um, that has happened in 
my last clinical job where there was, you know, a larger dietitian had, had spoken to this uh, patient about losing weight. And he told me the whole story about like, I told her, how dare she? And I was like, listen, why don't we not talk about weight at all? And then that made it very easy to work with him, you know? And, and so if we transition to this health at every size, like we all transition to it, um, then you don't have that weird conversation of like, you know, why should I do it if you can't do it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's also um, not about um, comparing or, um, you know, competing or um, trying to be like somebody else. You know, we are, I think I really like what you said about, you know, integrating um, health at every size from, from day dot. And uh, I mean, we've, we've got a long, a fairly long way to go. We're, we're chipping away, I think. And certainly I think there was a, um, a big push uh, last year, wasn't there from, um, from uh, the Hayes dietitians to try and get it into a lot of the training in the States. Yeah, there was a push to get it into this weight management certificate that they were kind of rebuffed, I think. Um, Mm. And that, you know, and there's a lot of resistance in our dietetics association to Mm. include health at every size as a dietetic uh, practice group, which we would love. And I think there would be enough people to fill it. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and what it's doing is it's offering options to people. You know, it's, it's, um, giving dietitians skills, it's certainly giving our, our patients and clients skills because if we're not focusing on weight, then we can focus on the myriad of other factors that can actually make great contributions to health and well-being. Um, and surely that that's just incredibly valuable and helpful. But if we can't, ugh, for some reason, we can't let go of being seen as weight loss experts or something, which it feels, well, now it feels crazy to me, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, and we know the reason why there's so much resistance to this is that it threatens this weight loss paradigm mm-hmm. and that's a cash cow. And that's how a lot of dietitians make their money is yeah. selling weight loss and they are part of the weight loss industry. So yeah. it is a threat in a way to their, their livelihood. And I think that's why people are so resistant to it. And we've got to, you know, call that out a little bit, I think. And I, you know, I feel for you, if you're making money from weight loss, you know, fine, but please know that, you know, this is not good and it's not real and you're not helping anybody probably. So, yeah. yeah. And and the interesting thing is that um, dietitians try to distance themselves so strongly from um, diet companies and diet organizations and um, we're the experts in this, that, and the other. I really, I really dislike the word expert, but anyway, that's, that's, that's for another conversation. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, we are the quote unquote experts in um, helping you be healthier. um, And what we mean by that is weight loss. So it's, so we try to distance ourselves at the same time and yet fail to see that it's kind of it's one and the same, really. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's such an opportunity in health at every size, um, even financially speaking. I mean, I hate to, you know, make it so crass and bring it down sure, to that. Yeah. But when I was a dietetic student, I volunteered for um, 
a dietitian in my city and he was kind of a well-known dietitian and I kind of had read his website and I was like, Oh, he sounds like he's into intuitive eating and non-diet and I'm so excited. So I'm going to volunteer and, you know, get some experience in running a private practice. And when I get there, it's like, it's totally a diet, right? Oh, like, and he's got like a whole system and all I could think was, I, I don't know why I would pay thousands of dollars to go through this when I could go through Weight Watchers and get the exact same result. Mm. And that's the reality. Like, you know, you can get that temporary weight loss from a very cheap program, overall cheap, although in the long term more expensive. Um, and I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, I don't get it. Why would I pay this person all this money when the result is going to be the same as going to someplace like Weight Watchers, which they don't really teach you about health. So let's, let, you know, let's say that maybe you get the added layer of somebody tells you to eat a little bit better. But um, yeah, I just didn't get it. And I think that it's so much harder to teach somebody how to eat intuitively, um, but so much more satisfying. Like, I just yes. don't know why you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> I, no, I agree with you. Actually, the amount of um, energy and effort that it takes to shift to help somebody shift paradigms, it's quite high, really, but so satisfying, my gosh, because, um, you know, you're not sending them back to the diet walls. Right. And they feel relief, you know, yes. and they can actually start to feel good about themselves because the reality is, um, speaking as somebody who had lost weight and kept it off for a long time, I still never felt good about myself. In mm. fact, I learned how to hate my body and fear going back to that other body. Mm -hmm. So I lived in fear literally for 17 years, mm -hmm. you know? And so if, you know, I'd say it's like, okay, if dieting worked or it made you happy or something, fine, go do it, whatever. Mm. Um, it doesn't, do any of that like you learn to hate your old body you live in fear you're hungry all the time like it's just shitty all around like mm -hmm. you know there's nothing good about dieting ever yeah <laughs> except yeah, for that initial euphoria you get of like i'm gonna be this amazing this is my future life it's like no you're, it's not gonna happen <laughs> but it's, and it's amazing how um seductive that can be you know and so oh, one yeah. of the yeah one of the um skills of of our of being a dietitian supporting people to move away from diets is really being able to um, gently and confidently coach them if you if for lack of you know a better word yeah. um, to to coach them towards you know reconnecting with uh, a sense of trust and a sense of um, uh, an ability to take care of themselves from a place of um, from a place of respect and consideration, and the great thing that I love most about health at every size and non diet approach is it can be a, applied across the board. So whether you're um, whether you have been diagnosed with a medical condition or whether you've got a gut something going on with your gut or um, you know various ages um, ages and stages of life, um, no matter if you are a human being. <laughs> this is for you. Like that's the best thing about yeah. it. <laughs> it can work. Yeah. Because it is about health. Yeah. And yes. I found it pretty easy. Like a lot of questions that come up for dietetic students and interns is, well, how do you apply this in clinical? It's like, right. it's so easy to apply in clinical. And then I send them a link to Fiona um, Willer's um, uh, thing that she did for ASDA. It was a, yes, that was great. For ASDA. And it was mm -hmm. like, 
oh, it was so helpful for me too. And it's like, yes, you can totally apply this in the clinical setting. It's not hard at all. All you're doing is not talking about weight. Mm-hmm. You're still going to talk about, you know, healthy changes, you know? And I, I think that's, it's, that's the difficulty in hitting home for, for some students where they they get it, but they don't fully get it. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, no, no, we're still going to talk about health. Yeah. Or, 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 so, so does this mean I can't give their dietary modification advice? No, 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 no. You can still do all that stuff because it's around, um, because it's around, um, health and wellbeing outcomes. It's not about, um, changing, changing someone's weight. It's about health and wellbeing outcomes. And if that means adjusting, I don't know, um, potassium levels or, you know, and to help yeah. understand, you know, what, what foods are high and low in potassium. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You don't have to leave and, that. And you'd be amazed at how much easier it is to implement health changes when you're not starving. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like we talked about before, your brain's kind of in one place and you've got the energy to be able to, um, to, be able to consider your choices from a place of respect rather than right. good, bad, right, wrong, can, can't, you know, locking yourself into these um, diet rules essentially because that's what yeah. they are yeah i mean i've i've known people who have managed to lose weight on like mostly candy you know <laughs> um and maintain an eating disorder on candy mm-hmm. and and you know there are lots of unhealthy ways to lose weight and so you know i've had patients say well i just you know juiced and i lost 30 pounds i'm like yeah but your blood sugar is like 300 mm-hmm. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. you're about to go blind um, yeah. and so, what's and what's all that fructose probably doing to your belly you poor thing <laughs> right exactly it's like maybe you should have just eaten food instead of just all juice all the time <laughs> you know? oh my so, lord oh my yeah. lord Glennis, we could talk absolutely all day. And in fact, um, well, hopefully later in the year, we will be able to talk all day. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wanted to just ask you a little bit about, uh, as you know, I've already spoken with Aaron and that was so fun. Oh my gosh, so fun. Uh, And uh, most people will know that you and Aaron um, have your podcast, your Dietitians Unplugged podcast. So tell us a little bit about the podcast and then where people can find you. Yes, it's called Dietitians Unplugged, and Aaron Flores and I do it together, and we are pals from my internship and working together at the same health center. And um, so he he wasn't wasn't the guy that you went to, and there was diet shit everywhere. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, that was somebody else. Yeah, I hope that guy never hears this podcast. Anyway. Rest assured, he will not. Um, Yeah. So, uh, no, and we wanted to find a way to connect on a health at every size level. And I had heard him on a podcast. And so um, I said, let's do a podcast together. And so we have our podcast. It's called Dietitians Unplugged. And a lot of times it's just he and I kind of chit-chatting. And sometimes we have guests on. And um, yeah, so you can find it on iTunes. Um, you can just Google Dietitians Unplugged and I think it comes up. So it does. yeah, yeah it's easy to it find. Yeah. And it is, the thing I love most about your podcast is it's just two friends just chatting. It's so funny. And I was, uh, and 
it feels like I'm just talking to you, Glennis, right now, but I'm under no illusion that there will be a variety of other people that are going to actually listen to this. But I know I, I was yeah. I was taking a walk a couple of weeks ago and listening to one of your episodes and the two of you were just so funny that <laughs> I had to stop walking because I was laughing so hard. And I was saying to Glennis, that is just completely selfish because I have had two children and my pelvic floor is not what it used to be. So yeah, that email was pretty funny. <laughs> I was like, Oh, sorry about that. But time to get the pet depends. Um, <laughs> yeah, depends. That needs a warning. That shit needs a warning. <laughs> yeah. Well, we put it explicit, but there was no warning for like, also funny. So. <laughs> yes. Also funny, explicit, funny. If your pelvic floor is, is shaky in any way, then yeah. just get yourself set. <laughs> Make sure you're listening in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sit on the toilet and <laughs> just make sure you're ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you found it funny though. I can't even, like when it's I'm great. talking, I'm like, I don't think I said anything funny, but who knows? And then I listened back to it later. I'm like, ah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> do, do you know what the funny thing is? It's, it's sometimes it's what you say, but sometimes it's the, it's the comedic, it's the timing. So Aaron will say something and then there'll just be this pause and then you'll like laugh or, or say something. And it's more, it, for me, it's much more about the timing where you can tell that, <laughs> you know, you're just sitting in this studio looking at each other and just yeah. there's this pause. <laughs> Yeah, and he'll, and it's unfair because he can actually make me really burst into laughter. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, and just, yeah, and um, <laughs> it's so, it's so much fun to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so everybody, everybody check listen. that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on. Um, and do you have a website or anywhere else or, or social media where people can, uh, can track you down? Yeah, I'm all over that stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have my website, it's daretonotdiet.com, but also you can get to it by glennisoyston.com. So there's a variety of uh, ways to find me. And um, I have a Facebook group called yes. the Dare to Not Diet Society, mm -hmm. um, which is flourishing. And it's so full of cool people who are talking about how they're not dieting anymore and how they're kind of moving through, um, just moving through this process of, reclaiming their lives from diets and I love it so much it's so cool to just connect with people like that and do you know what I've really found in being part of that group Glennis is that um, I don't actively participate very much unless unless I kind of see somebody posting something that I think oh I know a good resource or I yeah, can point you yeah. in this direction or that direction but as a dietitian do you know what is so helpful about being part of that group is you get to observe what people are expressing and what people are actually going through. And I think if you're either new to health at every size or you're starting in private practice or you only have a handful of, of patients or clients, then being part of groups like, um, like the Dare Not to Diet Society on Facebook mm -hmm. can just mm -hmm. be an incredible uh, view of what people uh, of what people are actually going through. So any dietitians, that's a really great group just to yeah. see what people are talking about. Yeah, their dietitians are welcome because I think if, and especially if you're kind of on the fence about health, health at every size, if you come in and you see how people are talking about how they were so screwed over by diets and diet mentality and how they were not happy doing that and mm -hmm. how 
they have, you know, weight cycle. I swear to God, you would never recommend a diet ever again. Mm. Um, I mean, some of these stories are just kind of incredible that, and, you know, and, and, and people struggling to learn how to eat normally, like the thing that we are all born being able to learn how to do, Mm -hmm. like how dieting has robbed them of that. And so um, just, seeing people's struggles, but also their wins, uh, mm. is really cool. Yeah. And I, so yeah, dietitians are definitely welcome in there and you can just observe and just be a part of it and hang out. Mm. Um, yeah, but I love, I love, you know, communicating with people that way. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's great for forming community, isn't it? It's great for the members of the group. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the actual, uh, people who are going through their body piece yeah. journey or their food piece journey that they um, that they feel like a sense of community and it's exactly the same as us you know that's the that's actually the reason I started our closed Facebook page the mindful dietitian is so yeah. that we, is so that we can support each other too and that we can we can um, share our challenges and we can share our wins as well um, like I saw one just this morning actually from um, a, a colleague of ours who is based just outside Boston and she has she wrote the most beautiful um uh, wrote about a selection of the most beautiful experiences that she had had in practice and was saying this is why I love what I do and I think when when we can form that sort of community and support each other then it just makes us it strengthens us and it strengthens our community strengthens our profession um and we can move onwards and upwards yeah, and I'm so grateful to groups like our, like yours, the Mindful Dietitian, and you know the Health at Every Size therapists and nutritionists, yes. and all of those sort of Health at Every Size groups where I can connect with other professionals who are dietitians. Like that's so important to me, and to be able to learn from them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, community is so important mm-hmm. uh, with this, and I'm yes. so grateful. Yeah. Oh, well, we are so grateful for you, Glennis, because you just make such a valuable contribution. I. Uh, I I love uh, the way you are not afraid to speak out and that you are, you're so courageous and so warm and supportive of others too. I think that's a real strength of yours. So, um, oh my gosh, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you and hopefully we'll get a chance to chat soon. And, um, and, well, I do definitely cross my fingers that I'll see you in New York at the end of the year. Yes, I really hope that is going to happen. So, and that was so nice of you to say all those nice things about me. I'm like totally blushing. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your show. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Glennis. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Hope you enjoyed it and please join us again next time. Just a reminder, we can be found at www.themindfuldietitian.com.au or you'll find over a thousand of us now over on the closed Facebook page, The Mindful Dietitian. See you there soon. Bye.